<clears throat> one of the joys of being an adult child is to learn more about your parents as an adult than you understood when you were a child and to relate to them in some new ways. I'm grateful to have had parents who taught me God's word and who had me in church and who disciplined me towards maturity, all of these things. When I was a father, I often think of my own dad and uh, find myself understanding him in ways that I never, I never understood him before, especially when I'm saying phrases that he said to us all the time. And there's a sense in which when, we, when we're walking in the steps of our parents, uh, we come to understand them more, right? There's a bit of that going on in our text today. As we obey God, we come to understand more about him. The way Solomon shows this is really with a pretty simple if-then lesson. You ever learn one of these? If you do this, then that. It's cause and effect. It's just simple the way life works. My dad used to say, speaking of, he'll only do it once, right? Because if it's really going to hurt him, he's going to learn pretty fast. And that was within reason. He protected us from really hurting ourselves. But if this happens, if you do this, then this will happen. That's what Solomon is doing. Look at verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words. Verse 3, if you cry for discernment. Verse 4, if you seek her for silver. Look at verse 5. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord. And then some explanation. For this, verse 6, the Lord does this. He does this. He does this. Verse 8, verse 9. Then you will discern righteousness and justice. And then it has several effects. And that's really how the chapter works. Verses one through four is a big if. That's the condition. If you do this, and it has to do with your desires, then verses five through nine, this is what will happen. And then uh, after he describes what will happen, he gives some explanation, kind of an intermediate explanation in verses 10 and 11. But then in verse 12, the big headings of what will this wisdom give to you? Verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. This is what you'll find if you go searching for wisdom. And then look at verse 16, the other big heading in the chapter, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. Okay. So if you do this, then God will do this and you will have this is how the chapter works. For length, we're not going to consider the whole chapter tonight. We'll consider it in two parts. In the first nine verses, kind of eight verses, we'll get into verse nine a little bit this week. We're going to consider it under the title of the task of pursuing wisdom. Because in the first half of the chapter, you see the pursuit of it and what you get when you find it, the task of pursuing wisdom. And then Lord willing, next week, we'll see the safety of possessing wisdom. But today, we'll see what it requires to get it. The task of pursuing wisdom, what does it require? And then where does it come from? Just at first glance, why don't we read it? Why don't we read Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord 
and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. And then a little bit into this next consequence. Then you will discern righteousness and judgment, uh, justice and equity and every good course. If you think about the portrait of wisdom we saw last week, this is in a little bit of contrast with that. You remember how loud and almost brash Lady Wisdom was going out into the streets, going into the gates, trying to intersect at every point of life and get people's attention and shake them into action. I'm calling to you. Will you listen is what she's saying. Now here, we're told something different. You have to go looking. You have to really want it. You have to dig for it. And it seems like there's a little bit of tension here in the portrait that uh, Solomon is painting. First, clamoring to be had, then maybe hiding herself away so that you will come to find her. But upon further investigation, it's not really the call of wisdom that's in contrast to the dig for wisdom, but it's uh, the call of wisdom that's trying to shake a fool from his complacency. And once she has shaken him out of his complacency and his satisfaction with himself as he is, then he will go digging. So yes, wisdom is there to be had, but you have to be shaken out of your self-contentedness first. And then once you are, then you will have a desire to go find something good. The problem is the fool is happy how he is, and he needs no change. But the wise person, when wisdom comes calling, the wise person follows her down a path, and then he realizes, oh, this is a good path, and it's worth digging. And there's nothing really intention here. The message of the chapter is really to search hard for wisdom because that is the only way. It's really only the wise person who receives God's covenant blessings. Look at the very end of the chapter. After he lists all the protections wisdom provides, look at verse 21. Uh, excuse me, verse 20. You will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. What's the significance of this? Does it mean you don't have stubbed toes all the time? No. For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. There's a very direct appeal to the law of Moses, that if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. I will drive you from the land. Look at verse 22. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted from it. There's a parallel between the fool and the wicked. See that? The fool never turns from his sin. And there's a parallel between the wise and the righteous. The wise person gets to stay in the land because wisdom leads in the paths of righteousness. So search hard for wisdom because when you're wise, you're righteous. And only the righteous receive God's blessings. But while you're searching, you should know that getting wisdom really does require diligent effort. Yet, know that God is willing to give it. He will give it to you as you search. He will reveal it to you. So the first four verses, I want you to see how having wisdom, getting it, really starts with wanting it enough to go get it. It starts with what you desire. Having wisdom starts with desiring wisdom. How do you know if you want it enough? Maybe you say, well, I think I want wisdom. How do I know if I want it enough? Well, 
I think as you think about that question, it doesn't mean your relationship to God is in question. Uh, the father speaks to his son and calls him son. That relationship doesn't change whether or not the son heeds his instruction, right? He's a father and a son no matter what. But he wants him to be wise. It does, it may mean that your desires have to change. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you. This word receive and treasure, they're words of value. If you, the, the word receive is the idea of grasp onto it and hold it. And treasuring is storing it up, valuing it like it's worth something to you. If you will receive my words, says the Father, and treasure my commandments within you, uh, I believe the, the sense here in verse 2 is by making your ear attentive to wisdom and by inclining your heart to understanding. So the reason or the way that you come to value the words of a wise father is by being willing to listen to wisdom, uh, inclining your ear for understanding. When he starts speaking, you perk up. That might mean your desires are having to change. This is like Samuel when he's in the temple or the tabernacle, and he doesn't even know God. And someone says, Samuel, Samuel. And he says, he wakes up and he runs to Eli and he says, here I am. He's listening. He's, he's attuned to the voice of Eli. And Eli says, what are you talking about? Just go back to sleep. Samuel, Samuel. And he runs. Can you imagine this little boy waking you up three times in a night? Yeah, actually. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I didn't say anything. Go back to sleep. And Eli finally realizes this is the Lord calling. And Samuel really through the rest of his life demonstrates a sensitivity to the voice of the Lord. Certainly a sensitivity that Saul himself did not have, right? As Samuel was interacting with him. Or you think about somebody like Mary. You remember the scene of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to their house and Martha's having all this company. And you know what it's like when you have company over and you're trying to make food and you're trying to Make sure your bathroom's clean and maybe you wiped your baseboards or something and you're doing all this stuff and you're really, it's a lot of work to be a host, okay? And Mary's in there sitting at Jesus' feet. Have you ever tried to host with one of your siblings, okay? Can you imagine why Mary is frustrated? Just help me. And she goes to Jesus. Jesus, can you tell her to help me? He says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about many things, but Mary has chosen the better portion. She's picked the right thing to do. And what was she doing? She was sitting there listening to Jesus. This is the kind of attitude, the kind of value that we need to place on the words of wisdom that really it, it rises above these other things. We're, we're responding quickly, maybe like a Samuel. We're prioritizing it like Mary did, putting ourselves under the teaching of God's word. This is how to treasure God's word. You Commit to hearing it. You open your ears to respond to it. You put yourself under the preaching of it. You read it yourself. And as you do that, your desire for it will grow and your, your sensitivity to its leading will increase. I think the sense you get here at the very beginning of this chapter is that you will not listen to wisdom if you don't want to. If you're not listening to wisdom, it's because you don't want to. They have a desire problem, those who don't listen to wisdom. Think about Rehoboam. After Solomon passed off the scene and his father's counselors came to him, 
and they said, okay, things were great under Solomon, but taxes are pretty high. I think if you lower taxes, people are going to be loyal to you for your whole life. Okay. Now all the guys he went to school with come in and he listens to their counsel. And he, he decides with them and they're giving the, him this macho let, uh, message of, yeah, you thought Solomon was bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be twice as bad. Rawr. You know. And he listens to this foolishness and it's, it's designed to read like nonsense because it is nonsense. It's really a foolish choice. What was his problem? He had this prior commitment not to listen to wisdom. It's not just that he was dumb. It's that he didn't want to listen to wisdom. And so he didn't. That was his problem. So your desires might have to change because this kind of search that he's describing here is really reserved for things that we only place great value on. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Listen to how active and almost violent these words are. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. This is really a, an all-out effort to go treasure hunting, isn't it? You're not, you're not sparing any expense. You're not, you're not taking a break. You're really going after it. You want to be the first one to find it. Of course, lifting your voice, crying out for discernment, that implies prayer, doesn't it? That you're asking God for these things. Ask God for wisdom. That's what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and without reproach. He doesn't mock you for needing wisdom. He knows you need it. He just wants you to ask for it. That's what Solomon is saying. Cry for wisdom. Go, go get it. And if you don't get it, don't stop trying. Ask and ask again. It really is an exercise of faith to keep asking and to not give up if you feel that you need more wisdom for a situation God has given you. Because if you're asking God for it, you're telling God, I can find it nowhere else but in you. Your word tells me that you have wisdom, and I know I need wisdom. I'm coming to you. I can go nowhere else. That's really the sense of not being double-minded. He must ask in faith without any doubting, James says. Because a man who doubts is like the waves of the sea. He's not decided if he wants God's help or not. He's kind of leaning on his own resources and kind of leaning on God. No, this is trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. That's what Solomon is saying here. You really have to go after it. Do you remember the parable of the unjust judge and the woman, the widow who was being treated unjustly in her city? And she went and appealed to the judge. And this is nothing to me. I'm not going to listen to this case. But she appealed to the judge and he doesn't want any time with this. But she appealed to the judge and she kept appealing. And Jesus was telling this parable. Why? To teach them that they should pray and not give up. And he draws this kind of rough parallel between God and the unjust judge. If the unjust judge is willing to act in his own self-interest, don't you think God who created you and made you is willing to act for your good? Seek for it. Search for it. This is diligent. This is persistent effort. And I do believe it's right to apply this to Bible reading. Like the Bereans, what did they do? They searched the scriptures, to see if these things were so. What Paul was teaching. They wanted to know if, okay, 
was that really what they said about the Messiah in the Old Testament? So they go and flip through their Bible. And, oh, look, it did say that. Jesus checks that box. And they're studying, they're digging, they're finding wisdom. And their faith was strengthened for it. I say it's right to apply this to Bible reading, I believe, because of verses like Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, Paul says this, I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. He wants them to be convinced of the truth. He wants them to be convinced about Christ. And he's really telling them the truth about it. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you find Christ in the Bible? Of course you do. Do you ever hear Christ in preaching? Do you ever wonder maybe, why is pastor talking about the angel of the Lord again? This seems... A little bit far off from me. That's Christ. You're learning about Christ. And if you're finding Christ, you're finding the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he is far beyond our understanding. So if you hear this kind of thing in preaching, if you see this kind of thing in the word, treasure it. Find out more about Jesus Christ as you hear preaching from Acts, as you hear preaching from the Psalms, as you hear teaching from Jeremiah, as we hear preaching in Hebrews. We need more of wisdom from the word value that treasure it incline your heart to understand wisdom christ is the wisdom of god and the power of god this really is an all-out search and you do learn something about how much you value something by how hard you're willing to search for it right um this i have this uh little bit of a phobia of getting a ring crushed onto my finger. And my wife got me a very nice wedding ring for our anniversary that slides off my finger very easily. And I really like it. It's, I don't know, tungsten carbide or something like that. And several years ago, we had an anniversary trip. I have this bad habit of playing with my ring, as you can tell. And we have this joke where if I drop it and you hear this noise or something like this, I hear the comment, don't lose that. It's important. And on our anniversary trip, we were driving in North Carolina to go have our anniversary dinner. This was before our first child was born. And I was playing with my ring and I dropped it in the car. It's a great thing to do before your anniversary dinner. But we were driving on the highway, so I knew it was in the car. And when we got there, I searched for it and I could not find it. And I searched pretty intensely. So we went in and I'm really distressed about this. So... I searched when we got back to the car and I couldn't find it. And I searched when we got back to the Airbnb where we were staying and I couldn't find it. And I went out before bed and tore the part, car apart like I've never torn it apart. And I could not find my ring. We drove all the way home from North Carolina. I think I checked almost every gas stop. And by that point, I was figuring that somehow it had worked its way out of the car and it was lying in the middle of the freeway. And I was going to have to get some cheap ring that was going to get crushed on my finger. No, no. Uh, I really searched for that thing and I had just about given up hope. And then you maybe, no, somehow, you know how your air 
comes out of your rug and it like blows air into the back. It had worked its way under there and it was like under the felt of the floorboards. And I don't know why it took me that long to think of that, but the Lord helped me find it. I really wanted my wedding ring. It was important to me. I valued it for a lot of other reasons than it's a really hard metal that's not going to get crushed. It, it's special to me. It means something to me. If you feel this way toward God and toward his word, you can be thankful about that, can't you? That indicates something to you about how you feel towards God and the values that you have from God in your heart. If you are searching God's word, praise the Lord for that. And don't stop because that is a heart inclined and ear attentive to wisdom a heart inclined to understand. Keep listening. Keep inclining your ears to God. Keep heeding his word. Keep responding to it. Keep praying for wisdom. Keep digging into the word. God promises that you will find what your soul desires because he's given you the desire to go find it. That's the right place to start. If you would turn over to Job chapter 28, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Job has this wonderful poem kind of right in the middle of his book on wisdom. And he's describing in this really wonderful depiction of how we go looking for precious metals. And he compares it to the search for wisdom. Job 28, surely there's a mine for silver in a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth, from it comes food and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows, nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out channels through the rocks, and his eyes see sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to the light. This is a remarkable description. It's really a remarkable technology that they had to be able to do this. But we love finding these things of great value. But what does he say in verse 12? But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? He's drawing attention to the fact that the earth has its treasures and we go find it. But there are other treasures too. And wisdom is one of them. And where can we find that? Look at verse 23 of that chapter, Job 28, 23. God understands its way. And he knows its place. This is why you have to come to God and you have to be in right relationship with God to have his wisdom because you will not find it anywhere else. And that's where Solomon turns next back in Proverbs chapter two. My son, if you have this kind of desire to go get wisdom, then you will discern the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 2, 5, and discover the knowledge of God. Why? For the Lord gives wisdom. 
from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Notice it doesn't say, because when you've put in 125 worth of effort, then it dispenses wisdom. No, the Lord gives it. He knows those who want it and those who are right with him. So if having wisdom starts with wanting enough to get it, having wisdom also really depends entirely on God's willingness to give it. And God is willing to give it. So what's that first consequence of searching? It's you come to fear Yahweh and you discover a, a, a relationship with him. This is really how faith works, isn't it? We read this morning how without faith, it is impossible to please him. If any man will please him, he must believe that he is. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is the reward of seeking God is that you come to fear God and you come to know him better. Someone said it this way about this verse, allegiance precedes understanding. This isn't just purely an approach of effort or purely an approach of intellect. This is actually the allegiance of a heart and anybody can swear allegiance to God. Anybody can do that if they will. It's like a son, like I said at the beginning, who comes to understand his father as he observes his father's discipline and instruction, as he walks in those ways. If, if you think about even, even a young boy, if he's willing to listen to the instruction of his father, he will actually learn more about his father as he obeys his father. If he resists his father and he will not heed his instruction, he will not submit himself to his discipline, that son is really stunted in his understanding of what his father loves and what his father wants and what his father's vision is for him. But as he walks in his father's ways, he comes to understand more of the love his father has for him and the goodness his father has to set him in these ways and to keep him from paths of sin. He understands more about his dad. This is what's happening. If you're searching for God, if you're inclining yourself toward his wisdom, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You will come into a much closer relationship with God. Back in Job 28, I believe this is really the, the echo of what fearing God is in its really principal action. Job 28, 28 says, To man, God said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Can it really be that simple? That if I just have a certain kind of relationship with God, that's wisdom. And if I just turn away from sin, that's real understanding. Yes. Yes. This is how stupefying sin is. This is how much sin blinds us to itself, that we don't think of it as our chief enemy in life and the chief cause for all the suffering that we see in the world. I want you to notice something else about this as, as the consequence of pursuing God's wisdom. What did the father say in verse one? My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, 
what happens? Verse five, he comes to discern the fear of Yahweh and he comes to discover the knowledge of God. What does that mean this father's words are about? It means this father is instructing his son how to fear Yahweh. It's not that he is the, he, the father himself is the source of all wisdom. No, God is the source. Look at verse six, the Lord gives wisdom. That's what he tells his son. But if you observe my words, that will lead you to the fear of the Lord and to a right understanding and a right relationship with God. I think there's a real application to us, especially as fathers, of the kinds of words we ought to speak to our children and the way we ought to instruct them. The way Paul puts it is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think it suggests that also the fathers must fear God. Father, we, fathers, we must ourselves be turning from sin. And maybe you'd say, well, I've blown it. It's too late for that. Or Ooh, how do I really condition all of my speech to point my kids in this direction? The clear implication is that you have to walk in that path yourself. You have to walk in the pastures of wisdom. You have to dive into the minds of God's word so that you are fearing him, so that you will lead your children in. If you want your children to be wise, Solomon's answer is turn your foot from sin. Heed the reproof of God. Cry out to God for wisdom. The Bible nowhere says that parents should tell their kids, do as I say, not as I do. That's not what the Bible teaches. We won't lead people to a place that we ourselves have not gone, right? And let me urge fathers, especially, and that's myself included, but all of us, if you feel that you're too far gone, if you feel that you've blown it, don't put yourself past the mercy of God. That might be all you have left is the mercy of God, to say, Lord, don't give me what I deserve. But don't fail to do that because God is merciful. He's full of mercy. That doesn't mean he'll remove all the consequences. You look at somebody like David. He had a lot of consequences come into his life. God made sure of it. The violence that David committed, it was in his family. The, the, the lust that David lived by, you see it in Solomon. It really bears great fruit. There were consequences for generations because of the choices that David made. But God was merciful to him, wasn't he? He didn't give him what he deserved. So don't fail to pray that way. And I will say this, that it's only too late to have wisdom if you won't repent. The time that wisdom, you remember last week, turns her back on you and is no longer available is when you've hardened yourself in your sin and the consequences start coming. But if you're willing to lay down your arms against God, that is half the battle. Turn your foot from evil. There's this admonition all over the book of Proverbs, and we'll come to it repeatedly. Turn to my reproof. This is part of the fear of the Lord, turning your foot from evil. God will forgive you if you turn away from your sin. This is, this is the glory of the gospel. And this is the hope of the gospel, is that I do not deserve anything but death and judgment. But God is willing to pardon me of high crimes, high treason against the crown. God will pardon me if I will lay down my arms.
This is the fear of the Lord. This is true knowledge and the beginnings of a true relationship with him. But the father also points out the source of wisdom, and it's really God himself and God revealing himself. Verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He is disclosing what he himself is. He is disclosing himself. It all comes from him. And as he's revealing knowledge, he's revealing himself. So again, this points to a relationship with God, not just awareness of God in general, but acquaintance with him personally and love for him. This is a knowledge of fellowship. God gives knowledge of himself. Think about Cornelius as he's praying. Pastor kind of made a little bit of a case that maybe Cornelius was praying for the light of the gospel or something like that, for more understanding. You kind of get that sense as you learn more of what was going on on Cornelius' side of the story. And what does God do? God sends him that. God sends him understanding. And as soon as he hears it, it's while he's preaching that he gets saved. He just believes it. He drinks it in. This is, this is a man who cried for understanding, and God gave it. God revealed himself to Cornelius. From his mouth came knowledge and understanding, and it was actually through the mouth of Peter. But you also see how wisdom is exercising faith. Verse 7. What, is, what, is wis, what, what does he come to notice as he seeks wisdom? And he's really willing to be teachable. He knows that, verse 7, God stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. And we'll see more of this protection next week. There are protections from wisdom. It keeps you from sin. But here he's really hinting at how God protects his people, and it's as he gives them wisdom. God guards the way, the paths of justice. He preserves the way of his godly ones. How does he do that? He teaches them how to walk. He teaches us how to walk. And it's in the way of wisdom. And what does wisdom do? I think that's fleshed out at the end of the chapter, verse 12. To deliver you from the way of evil. That is the damaging thing. Verse 16, to deliver you from the strange woman. This is what wisdom does. It keeps you away from sin. So what's the implication? Why is it serving to guard us? Well, wisdom, number one, leads us in godly moral character. That's, that's really what biblical wisdom is. It's moral. But I think the flip side is that your greatest danger is your sin. That's the greatest danger for all of us. God, who is the source of all wisdom, knows that the most damaging thing for his creatures is their sin. And when you zoom all the way out and you think of the whole picture of the Bible, isn't that really the answer? What messed it up all at the beginning? It was rebellion against God. It was sin. What's going to make it all better in the end? It's when there's no more sin. This is what God is dealing with. We need to think seriously and soberly about our sin. It's, this isn't just 10 tricks to a better life. That's not God's wisdom. God's wisdom is turn from the sin that is ruining you and have my ways of life. We need that kind of formation. And you see here how 
what God's character is like. When God punishes sin, it's not God being vindictive. It's not God just being, I think you understand, grumpy. That's not what God is doing. It's an expression of his love and his goodness and his holiness and his righteousness to say, no, this is the, it's really the worst possible thing for you. Come over here. Heed me. Follow me. Of all the things in the world that you might fear, including getting a ring stuck on your finger, sin is the worst. Sin is what you ought to fear the most. Your worst enemy is the devil. Your gravest danger is not repenting of sin. Because then you see the consequence. As wisdom is exercising faith, you're seeing the nature of wisdom. It's moral. Verse 9, you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. And we'll get into starting at verse 9, Lord willing, next week. But what are the three lessons so far, just as we conclude? Solomon has said this to his son. Fear God. This is lesson number one, kind of the, the doorway of the book. That's where wisdom starts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the theme. But then next he says, watch out for temptations to sin in order to get ahead in life. Hear your father's instructions. If sinners entice you, don't consent. This way of getting ahead in life through violence and sin, that's kind of this, it's almost like an alternate reality. It's this way of describing success. It's this way of achieving this, this very earthly and temporal kind of success, and the whole path is bad, the beginning, the middle, the end. Don't even go that way. This is how God defines everything. Listen to my teaching. So in the first lesson, he's really addressing simplicity, this, this moral irresponsibility. Avoid paths of sin. Make up your mind that you're going to listen to my wisdom that's going to lead you in this way. And then he says, in lesson number two, in the second half of chapter one, listen to the rebukes of wisdom. You're not perfect. You're going to need correction, and you don't know everything, so be willing to change. I believe here he's addressing pride. Don't reject teaching. Be teachable. Proud people aren't teachable people. Right? Be humble, is what he's saying. So he's addressed uh, a moral decision. He's addressed pride, and you see how foundational these are. But then here in lesson three, he addresses desire. Spiritual desire. Son, you need to want the right things. You need to want good things. You need to desire them enough to get them. Wisdom will lead you, but you have to want it. You won't fall into wisdom. You don't just trip and one day you're wise. You have to go get it. And when you do, you will find to your heart's delight that you have found God himself. He will reveal himself to you to give you the wisdom that you want and the wisdom that's going to lead you in his ways. So wisdom, getting it, it really does require effort, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And it's only found in God. We have to trust God. We have to cry out to God. We have to relate to him. And it's worth it because those who are wise are those who end up walking in his ways and receiving his blessings. 
So how can you be wise? Well, ask and then take hold of the Lord. Obey him. His law is wisdom to you. Not that we're putting ourselves under the law, but it it shows us what God loves. Search it, love it, hold it, and conform your life to it. If that sounds strange to you, conform yourself to the law. Think about this, Christian. I'm not trying to preach something new. For your encouragement, realize that God is at work to do this in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will, that's desire, and to do of his good pleasure. What does this mean? Well, Jesus was wise, wasn't he? He did everything perfectly according to the will of God. He always turned away from the temptation to sin. He obeyed all God's commands. He did God's will fully, perfectly. And by his spirit, through his word, God is making you like that. That's the blessing of being in Christ. So don't give up. Keep praying. Keep obeying. Keep walking with the Lord and his word. And you will have the protections of wisdom because you will have the knowledge of God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do pull us from sin. And yet we testify to our own depravity by always going back to it and not treating it savagely enough. But your wisdom leads us in paths of righteousness. Help us to walk in paths of righteousness. I pray that we would have right desires and a desire to be taught and to to search for you as for hidden treasures. Lord, we know that you will be found. You say, knock, and it will be opened. Search, and you will find. And that is a great comfort to us because we feel our weakness. We feel our sinfulness. Lord, we thank you for your grace to rescue us. Help us walk with you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.